Sound Words. Christian Magazine. Volumes 41 to 50. Republished by Irving Rich, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. The Prophetic Word. William C. Reed. Part 1 of 4. Prophecy is found in both the Old and New Testaments, and has been given by God not only to warn his people of coming events, but to encourage them amidst the difficulties through which they pass in this world. In the New Testament, prophecy is viewed as one of the greatest divine gifts, and is given for edification, and exhortation, and comfort. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 3. The prophet applies the word of God to the conscience of his hearers, so as to bring them into the presence of God. Even if there are no words of Abel in the divine record, he is nevertheless reckoned by the Lord Jesus to be among the prophets. Luke chapter 11 verses 50 to 51. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, had prophesied in his day, yet the Holy Spirit awaits New Testament times before recording his prophecy through Jude. God speaks of Abraham as a prophet in Genesis chapter 20 verse 7. And the blessings of Jacob give a prophetic outline of the history of his seed from that time until they are brought into millennial blessing in their own land, Genesis chapter 49. Moses foretold the coming of the Lord Jesus in Deuteronomy, saying, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shall ye hearken, Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15. In the same book, Moses, in his song, warned Israel of where the departure from God would lead, and of his governmental dealings with their sins, but also proclaimed his final intervention on their behalf and spoke of the coming day when it will be said, Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, and will be merciful unto his land. And to his people, Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 43. God used the false prophet, Balaam, to declare his mind, and compelled the high priest of Israel, who was plotting the death of Jesus, to proclaim that he would die for the nation, John chapter 11 verse 51. Balaam would fain have cursed Israel, but twice over God made him speak the word he put in his mouth. The third time, when Balaam sought to evade God, the Spirit of God came upon him, and constrained him to bless. In his fourth parable, Balaam prophesies of Christ's coming as a star out of Jacob, and a scepter, out of Israel, and also foretells the triumph and defeat of the Assyrian. The nation used of God to punish Israel, Numbers chapter 23 verse 5, 16, Numbers chapter 24 verse 2, 17 to 19. All prophecy centers in Christ, but the Old Testament prophets did not always understand the bearing of their words when, the Spirit of Christ which was in them testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. And the glory that should follow, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 11. But the two disciples on the way to Emmaus learned the truth of the prophetic word concerning the sufferings and glory of Jesus, when, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, Luke chapter 24 verse 27. Prophecy has to do with earth, with the coming of Christ for the blessing of Israel, and, indeed, for the blessing of mankind. The glory that follows the sufferings of Christ is chiefly the glory that will be displayed in his coming kingdom rather than the glory that belongs to the Father's house. The coming of Christ, as foretold by the prophets, had the first and second comings of the Lord in view, his first appearing to deal with the question of sin, his second apart from this great question. Settled once for all at his first coming, for the salvation of his people, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28. The rapture of the saints to heaven, as given by the word of the Lord to Paul, is not exactly prophecy, but that which fulfills the promise of the Lord to come for his own to take them to the Father's house. 
Isaiah has much to say regarding the sufferings of Christ, and the glory that should follow, chapters 52 and 53, being outstanding examples, but he also foretells the judgment of God upon Israel and the nations. Because of their sins, and the events of the last days prior to the introduction of Messiah's kingdom. The first chapter faithfully portrays Israel as a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4. Spite of all their sins, God will come in to purely purge away thy dross, and take away all thy sin. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness, Isaiah chapter 1 verses 25 to 27. Balaam had said of Israel, let my last end be like his. Numbers chapter 23 verse 10, and Isaiah plainly discloses that last end to be of rich blessing on the earth. In chapter 2 of Isaiah we have something of this, and it shall come to pass in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2. Israel, as a nation, will be supreme among the nations of the earth, the divine earthly center for all the nations. In that day, Christ will have his rightful place on earth, for, he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. His righteous judgment, outpoured when he comes, will bring in the conditions for which men have long yearned, but which none of the great men of the world could ever procure for them, for, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Verse 4. The millennium will be a wonderful time for those who trust in Messiah, and are truly subject unto him, for, in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel, and it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion, and he that remains in Jerusalem, shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem, Isaiah chapter 4 verses 2 to 3. The Lord Jesus as the branch will give infinite delight to God, even as when here the true vine he brought unbroken pleasure to his Father. For men, as the fruit of his work on the cross, and as flowing from his beneficent reign, there will be peace and joy. But this scripture, with others, makes it plain that many of Israel will perish before the blessing flows out from the Lord. The prophet speaks of, he that is left in Zion, and he that remains in Jerusalem, for, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left, Matthew chapter 24 verses 40 to 41. Some are taken in judgment, the others are left for blessing. From Zechariah chapter 13 verses 8 to 9 we learn that two-thirds of those in the land of Israel will be cut off, the remaining third being left for purification and ultimate blessing in Christ's earthly kingdom. Of those who are not in the land at the time of the end we read in Ezekiel chapter 20. The Lord will bring them out of the lands where they dwell, and cause them to pass under his rod, purging out the rebels. Those who remain will be brought into the bonds of the new covenant, Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 33 to 38. In Isaiah chapter 7 there is the well-known prophecy, Behold a virgin shall conceive, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Matthew gives us the interpretation of the name as God with us, and shows the fulfillment of the prophecy in the coming into the world of the Lord Jesus. This scripture shows that the Old Testament not only gives the searchable riches of Israel's Messiah, but also sets forth his divine glory. 
This chapter also introduces the king of Assyria as the rod of God for the punishment of Ephraim and Judah Isa, 7, In Isaiah chapter 8 verse 4, God announces that the king of Assyria would soon defeat the combined forces of Israel and Syria, spoiling Damascus, the capital of Syria, and Samaria, the capital of Israel. Judah would not go unpunished, for the king of Assyria would pass through Judah, he shall overflow and go over, he shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 8. His power against Judah would be limited, for God would not allow him to take Jerusalem. This took place in the days of Hezekiah, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, took Samaria, and carried Israel into captivity. Some years later, Sennacherib king of Assyria came up against the fortified cities of Judah, and took them, 2 Kings chapter 18 verse 13, but the Lord intervened when he sent his general Rabshakeh against Jerusalem, saying, I will defend this city, to save it, for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake, 2 Kings chapter 19 verse 34. To understand the prophetic word rightly, it is essential to observe that a prophecy sometimes has a partial fulfillment at the first coming of the Lord, but that the complete fulfillment awaits his second advent. The trouble and darkness spoken of in Isaiah chapter 8 verses 21 to 22 mark the days of the Lord's first coming, and will likewise exist just before he comes again. The testimony of God in Jesus was refused by the leaders of Israel, but was bound up and sealed among his disciples. Jerusalem would not have the Messiah, but the people, beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations, saw a great light when Jesus was there. At the second advent of the Lord, the trouble and darkness surrounding the godly remnant of Israel will be forever dispelled. Jesus will come to break the yoke of his, Israel's, burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. The child born to Israel, the son given who was rejected by the nation will become their saviour in that day, and they shall learn, as we have already learned, that his name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace, Isaiah chapter 9 verses 4 to 7. God used the Syrians and the Philistines to devour Israel with open mouth, he allowed tribal warfare between Ephraim and Manasseh, and also conflict between the ten tribes and the house of David, Isaiah chapter 9 verses 12, 21. But the Assyrian was the chief instrument of God for the chastisement of both the houses of Israel. In chapter 10 God says, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him, I will give him a charge, to tread him down like the mire of the streets, Isaiah chapter 10 verses 5 to 6. The proud Assyrian does not realize that he is God's instrument, and thinks he is accomplishing his own will. Because the Assyrian boasts of what he does, saying, By the strength of my hand have I done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed the treasures, God will punish him. He is but an axe and a saw in the hand of God, a staff and a rod wielded by God to do his will. After God has used the Assyrian as his instrument he, shall consume the glory of his forest, and of his fruitful field. This was partially accomplished when the Assyrian took captive the ten tribes but it will have its complete fulfillment in the time of the end. God had a faithful remnant, and these are ever under his eye. They not only return to the land after the captivity, but the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. The mass of the ungodly nation perish. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption, even determined in the midst of the land. Isaiah chapter 10 verses 20 to 23.
Jehovah would comfort the godly by foretelling them what would take place, and by saying, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian, he shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee, after the manner of Egypt. For yet a little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. Isaiah chapter 10 verse 25. Every step of the Assyrian is traced in his southward march through the land, from the moment, he is come to Ayath, until, he shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion. The hill of Jerusalem, Isaiah chapter 10 verses 28 to 32. His triumph over the ten tribes led to their captivity, but there was a divine limit set, as we have seen, to his power against Judah and Jerusalem. At the time of the end God will again limit the scourging power of the king of the north, the Assyrian, against Jerusalem. With this we read in Daniel chapter 11 verses 40 to 45. At the time of the end, he shall enter also into the glorious land, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Like Sennacherib, he is permitted to bring his armies to the very gates of the holy city. But it will appear that at that time he is not allowed to capture the city. From Zechariah chapter 14 we learn that the city will be taken by the assailing armies, just before the Lord comes, and the coming of the Lord will bring about the destruction of those armies, and the deliverance. In Matthew chapter 24 the Lord forewarns his disciples of what is coming at that time, and no doubt the godly remnant will be directed by that word given by the Lord while on earth. When they see the abomination of desolation set up by the Antichrist in the temple, it will be the signal for them to flee from the city and from the surrounding country to the mountains. Intervening for the godly, the Lord will bring destruction upon the leaders, the high ones of stature, of those who are used to chastise his people. He shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. Isaiah chapter 10 verses 33 to 34. It may be that this latter refers to the beast of Revelation chapter 13, whose armies are destroyed at Armageddon. The Lord as the Anointed One is brought before us in Isaiah chapter 11, upon whom God's Spirit rests for the accomplishment of His will. He was the vessel of the Holy Spirit here below, and by the Spirit He will direct all for God's glory in the earth in the coming day. His kingdom will be introduced with judgment, he will intervene on behalf of the poor and the meek, smiting the earth with the rod of his mouth, and slaying the wicked with the breath of his lips. At the same time, the Antichrist will be consumed with the spirit of his mouth and destroyed with the brightness of his coming, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8. Righteousness and faithfulness will mark the reign of Christ during the millennium, and even the ravenous beasts will have their nature changed. Christ, who is not only the offspring of David, but as a divine person the root of Jesse, will be the ensign to which his earthly people will rally, and not only they, but the Gentiles also. Wars will have ceased to the ends of the earth under his sway, and, his rest shall be glorious, verses 5-10. In the days of Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah, remnants of Judah and Benjamin were gathered back to the land, and to this remnant Messiah came. The first regathering was from Babylon in the days of Cyrus king of Persia, according to the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 44 verse 28, Isaiah chapter 45 verses 1 to 4, and was under the direction of Zerubbabel. The second part coming with Ezra from Babylon in the days of Artaxerxes, Ezra chapter 8 verse 1, Nehemiah coming later in the same reign. The second regathering will be composed of the outcasts of Israel, and, the dispersed of Judah, verse 12. From both houses of Israel the Lord will bring back those who are to inhabit the land that he gave them. 
Men speak of the lost ten tribes, but the Lord knows where to find them, and has told us plainly in this scripture from where they shall be gathered. When the king of Assyria took Israel captive, he carried them into Assyria, and placed them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, 2 Kings chapter 17 verse 6. The regathering will be from the same regions, Assyria, Elam and Shinar, the two latter being Persia and Babylon, but also from Egypt, Cush, Ethiopia, Hamath, Upper Egypt, and from the islands of the sea, Mediterranean. It will be observed that all these countries surround Palestine, and it would seem that the fragments of the ten tribes have more or less remained in the countries where their fathers fled to or were carried captive. With Judah, it was quite different. It may be that there are fragments of Jews in these same countries, but they are scattered to the four corners of the earth, and from the remotest parts of the earth the Lord will yet regather them. Of this the Lord spoke to his disciples when he said, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. From one end of heaven to the other, Matthew chapter 24 verse 31. From Matthew chapter 24, as from Isaiah chapter 11 we learn that this great regathering is subsequent to the coming of the Lord. For in Matthew chapter 24 verse 30 we read, They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and in Isaiah chapter 11 the regathering is after the Lord is presented as the ensign. The gathering center for his own. Judah and Israel thus united triumph over their foes round about Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon. Chapter 12 is the outpouring of praise from Israel to the God of his salvation. Again upon that eastern hill his glorious feet shall stand, his splendor shall the welkin fill, and shine through Judah's land. Known to the Lord alone that day, but known to none beside, when gloom and shadow pass away with light at eventide.